I'm Katherine Spearing, and this is Uncertain. Tears of Eden, a nonprofit supporting survivors of spiritual abuse from the evangelical community and home of the Uncertain podcast, is hosting its first in-person retreat con October 20th through 22nd. This retreat con will have the intimacy of a retreat with the intentionality of a conference. In partnership with the I Got Out movement, the retreat con will also feature a special event story jam highlighting survivor stories live and in person. Registration is currently open and spots are limited. Sign up with a link in the show notes. This podcast and the work of Tears of Eden are supported by the generosity of listeners like you. If you'd like to see the work of Tears of Eden continue, consider giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly supporter. You can do that by visiting tearsofeden.org support. In this episode with therapist Catherine Queering, we discuss how the pressure to be codependently slash anxiously attached to God in the evangelical church impacts our religious trauma. Catherine is a licensed mental health professional and self-trust coach who helps ex-evangelicals learn to trust their desires and reconnect to their inner wisdom. She also helps people-pleasers learn to trust themselves and recenter themselves at the helm of their lives. Here's my interview with Catherine Queering. Hi, Catherine. Hi, how are you, Catherine? Good. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing fine. Excited. I just got out of a writing group, which is fun. My old business coach is doing. So fun. Yeah. I actually met with someone yesterday about potentially forming a in-person writing group. I feel like most people want like accountability. I just want to talk. Uh (laughs) I just want to like be people just like, does your brain do this when you're writing? Speaking of writing, you're familiar with purity culture, right? You're Oh gosh. Yeah. From that world. Okay. So this is a book that I got like a very, very early in my writing process, which was, it's called Fondling Your Muse. Oh, I love that. This like fell out of like a box in my, as I was like making my bed this morning and I started laughing because I was like, I think when I bought this book, I didn't know what fondling was. (laughs) (laughs) I just like, this like book about writing and I just, That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting as I've been listening to more things about purity culture recently, but like, I, I think we were taught to be asexual basically. And so like, I followed that to the T. Yeah. I had no idea about anything. And my (laughs) husband, who's a pastor was like, how do you not know this? (laughs) Like even all the pastors I know, like (laughs) conservative circles. (laughs) All the fun things. It's, it's, it's funny now, or Lisa provides. Right. Yes quite a, a, lot, a lot of humor it's not funny but then it, at the same right. time yeah I'm excited to talk about this subject it is something that we have touched on in certain episodes and conversations but just specifically this idea of the way that we were raised to be dependent on God creates a codependent or anxious attached relationship to God and evangelical can create that in evangelicalism. And so I'm excited to jump in and talk about this before we do. I will do just like a, like a short little intro for you at the beginning of the episode, record it later. But is there anything that you would like to share about who you are, what you do and who you are passionate about working with? So I don't think I've actually put this label on it before. I've generally just been saying like ex-evangelicals, but especially evangelical people pleasers. So like I've kind of specialized in both and people that have experienced sexual abuse, narcissistic abuse. Like I was doing all of that first. And then I kind of came to religious trauma 
from my own experience. And so like all of those things are included. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, that's really yeah. cool. And I think that you could find just like a plethora of human beings that fall into that space. And we were conditioned to be that. Exactly. I mean, especially as women, I was thinking like our only choices were like be in trauma freeze and appease mode. Like you are not allowed to fight. You are not allowed to flee. Right. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then as Uh, we breathe people pleasing. Exactly. That's that's literally what we had (laughs) to do. That's and we were told not only we weren't we were not only conditioned like that we had to do this for survival we were told this was like the godly way to be so so much complexity and as we we will talk about codependency itself i do want to give just like a disclaimer at the beginning about that word because codependency is so so associated with women it's also very it's also shamed a lot and and we're told to just stop being codependent already and when we are women in a patriarchal society, and then we also are in that evangelical culture, it's just exacerbated that much more. So I know that I can still have a little bit of a like activation uh-huh. hear that word. Yeah. Uh, so just want to give a disclaimer. We are not shaming anyone for codependency. I'm approaching that with compassion and mm-hmm. understanding, and it makes sense if this is something that we navigate. So yeah. And I've, I've worked with so many men who have had people pleasing and codependency stuff too, because that's my specialty. So, I mean, it's been, yeah, interesting to see so many sides of that, but yes, it can be really shaming, right? Just right. vilify the victim stuff. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And probably more challenging for a man with that because it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of anti right. male. Exactly. <laughs> You're not, right. not supposed to be that way. Right. And yet you are. And so then that, I don't know, how does that show up when you, when you see that showing up and then out of curiosity? Oh yeah. There's definitely an extra layer of shame. Yeah. And like hiding it and, you know, I'm the only person they've told and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. 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 It's not as open. Yeah. That tends to be Mm -hmm. the pattern with, with a lot of things that men, men struggle with is not being able to talk about it. Is that added, added layer of not being able to be open about it. So just to like get us started, would you give us an overview of the foundation of what we're talking about, which is attachment styles? Like what are attachment styles for the people? Yeah. So attachment styles are how we relate and bond with other people. So there's a lot of different ways to think about that, but there's attachment style research based on like our infancy and like how we attach as infants and then how we attach as adults. And there's some overlap and there's some difference, but a lot of the the research has been done based on infant attachment and then how that continues. And that's what I focus on largely because so much of this started in our like early years and our upbringing and how we were supposed to attach to our parents and to God and to anyone around us, like God was held up as our main attachment figure, basically, right? And so, you know, in that, in an attachment figure, you're looking for a safe haven and a secure base. And we can talk more about that, but those are like the main needs you need in an attachment figure. And so then it's like, how are you taught you can attach? How do the people that you're attaching to respond to you, right? So what ways do you try to meet your 
your basic needs for belonging and connection through these people that are your main attachment figures. And that's what creates your attachment patterns. And some of it is like you're taught how to attach based on how your caregiver attaches to you. Exactly. Some of it is a survival response in an attempt to get our basic needs met. Right. Both things are happening simultaneously. Yeah. Then how does, I don't, jumping ahead a little bit, (laughs) how does that maybe go over just like, like what these attachment styles are briefly, just in case folks are not familiar as we're jumping. Yeah. So the main ones that have been identified, especially starting in childhood, anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, and secure attachment. And then there's also disorganized attachment. So Anxious attachment basically means you are searching for connection, closeness, and acceptance, and you are willing to give up any autonomy or freedom or independence to meet that need, right? So that becomes primal, right? Like the primal thing that you're looking for. With avoidant attachment, it's the opposite, where if you have to choose between closeness or autonomy, you're going to choose autonomy. So you need more space to feel safe and free to be who you are. So that's kind of that polarization. And then disorganized happens when you don't know what you're going to get from your caregiver. So you don't know which way to react and how to meet your needs. It becomes very disorganized because the place that you're supposed to get love and security and connection, you're getting either a disorganized response or you're getting terror in response to them. And then secure is when you have both. There is enough closeness and you're allowed to be yourself, right? That you have both. That's when you have secure attachment. Yeah, which which is often something that that comes when you have those secure relationships with the caregiver. And right. you're sort of allowed to just kind of rest and be. Yes. And right. we can often see those things. And like our, I have a lot of nieces and nephews and I can I can tell like which ones are, anxious, which ones are avoidant, mm-hmm. which ones are secure. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the evidence of the secure is just this freedom to play. Like they're just, they're yeah. so playful and they're so just excited about life and, you know, just like, and just, they're willing to try things and they like look back at their mom or their dad and like, you're watching. Okay, good. And then they just kind of yes. go and they don't, they yes. don't have that, you know, either just like stay away from me or, or like, I can't go anywhere unless I'm like right in your hand. And that's a perfect example of a secure base, right? Of like, I'm checking in with my attachment figure and it's safe to keep exploring and being myself and keep going, right? As opposed to um, that, them being shut down and saying you're doing the wrong thing when they had no idea, right? They're just playing, right? right? right. And being shamed or whatever for that. Right, right, right. And that, that, that disorganized. Jarring. Yes. Like, like what, what, what just happened? What just happened? Right. Right. Uh, yeah. So you have this really helpful quiz that mm-hmm. uh, helps folks determine their attachment style to God and how that shows up mm-hmm. in a relationship with God. What does that look like in a relationship with God, those attachment styles? How does that show up? Yeah. So it's this idea that we were taught God is supposed to be our main attachment figure. And then what does that look like and how does that show up and how we relate to God or the conception of God that we've been given. And I think I've seen sometimes with the avoidant, it can end up being more like, 
how do I touch with my like parents who are, or the church or the church leaders, because I don't have much connection with God, right? Or I don't want connection with God. And so that's kind of the the middleman or the stand-in where with the anxious attachment, I've seen more, it is this effort at a direct connection with God, but there's a lot of anxiety there and maybe disappointment or whatever happens there. So I'm going into them, each of them, but basically I think in the, a lot of evangelical settings and maybe Pentecostal as well, there's a lot of emphasis on being close to God, right? There's this benefit that you're told of like having a relational God who wants to be close to you and get to know you. The downside is they, there becomes a lot of pressure around that. Like you have to be close to God in order to prove that you're a Christian, to prove that you're saved, that you're born again, whatever that language is, right? And if you're not externally, then someone else is going to question if you're a Christian. If you don't feel it internally, then you start questioning yourself if you're a Christian, right? Which leads to these like rededication patterns and anxiety and hyper awareness and hypervigilance and like excessive introspection and all of that, right? So that's like one constellation of how that anxious attachment shows up with God, right? As well as this idea that it feels like God's in a swivel chair. I read this in a book, gosh, I'm going to blank on the name though, but we can include it in the show notes, um, where if you feel close to God or you're doing the right things and you're making all the effort, right? You're doing your devotions, you're going to church, you're reading your Bible, like you're witnessing all of the stuff that they tell you you're supposed to do to be a good Christian. Then you feel like, yes, God's happy with me, right? Or I feel this internal connection or glow or whatever it is that you associate with connection with God. And so then it feels like God is facing you, right? And as soon as you do something else or you don't feel that closeness, it feels like God turned away in the swivel chair, right? And there's all of this teaching around, well, if you don't feel God, guess who moved, right? It must be you. You must have sinned, figure it out, fix it, right? The relationship feels so conditional, even though you're told over and over and over, God is good, God won't change. So it must be you. You must be doing something wrong, right? Which leads to so much anxiety about maintaining this relationship and this connection. So that's a lot of the anxious attachment. You may already know this, but the Uncertain Podcast is the affiliate podcast of Tears of Eden, a nonprofit that serves as a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse. This podcast and the work of Tears of Eden are supported by donations from generous listeners like you. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider giving a donation by using the link in the show notes or visiting tearsofeden.org support. You can also support the podcast by rating and leaving a review and sharing on social media. If you're not already following us, please follow us on Facebook at Tears of Eden and Instagram at Uncertain Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And now back to the show. What are some just teaching that comes out of this? Even though you've, you've mentioned some, but just different things that were told either like from the Bible or that, that gives this, this we're supposed to be this like, so dependent on God foundation. Like what are, where do those teachings come from? There are so many, and I have a bunch of them in my course about how to learn to trust yourself again, but some are just, I mean, over and over and over you hear in hymns and different verses, like you are supposed to be like a little child, utterly dependent on God at all times. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you start feeling like you're not, you're being rebellious. Mm -hmm. Right. There is no space for this um, secure base where you can go off and explore. You have to double down on God being your everything and your 
you have to be thinking about God all the time, right? Like, and take all your thoughts captive and all of your words and like all of this kind of self-policing around being the right kind of person that can be around God. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, like, I'm not coming up with the verses right now, but there's so many verses about like, Casting all your cares on God, being dependent on God. Like yes, yeah. <laughs> there's a song that's coming to my head right now. The the, it's not about me that you should do things my way. It's all about yes, you. yes, right. <laughs> you and that's over God and over and, and over. Like surrender everything, and yes. then it's like God is supposed to come in and take over. Like like right, literally. That is the, it, it goes so extreme, right? That you're not even allowed to have a self, right? Let alone like be enmeshed with God. You're not even allowed to have a self, right? You have to like literally hollow yourself out is the teaching to let God fill you, right? And we and completely surrender. Yeah. Yeah. We introduce speakers yourself. as these high character people because they're so dependent on the Lord. I've never met someone who wasn't... Right who was this dependent on the Lord. And, right. and, and it's not only like, this is what you're supposed to do. It's elevated as this right. holy. Right. And, and there was a lot of teaching when I was a kid and emphasis on like asking God about everything. God cares about everything. So God cares what color outfit you wear today, right? Like you have to ask God about that and listen to make sure you're doing the right thing to being in God's will. And like, that level of like dependence, (laughs) right? Like I don't even make, I let my five-year-old pick out her outfits, right? right? Like, like why in the world would I want a God that would like need to pick out my outfits? Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, and I'm like, I'm like feeling anxious even as we're talking about it. Cause I'm like, I, I remember this anxiety. I remember this, like praying for the, the, the parking lot and, Uh or, you know, (laughs) should we go to Applebee's or IHOP, you know, like just like everything. And, and then thinking I'm a good Christian. This is right. When really those are like to take this even a step further, those are hallmarks of an abusive controlling relationship, right. To have your life controlled to that level and that we're trained to be that way and to want relationships to be that way. It's yeah, really, really detrimental. Yeah, and it's always a oh, but it's God, right? And if there was any hint of like, huh, if you were to have this type of relationship with a person, it would not be healthy. But it's right. God, so it's okay, right? Like right. God has Which your best interests. It's heart. also why we see these patterns in people in the church, right? Especially right hierarchical churches, right? Where absolutely, like, you know hide and excuse any like sexual abusers, but you vilify the victims, right? Like all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit of just like the sort of culture that, you know, 90 humans in a little space who are all anxiously attached to God. What does that culture look like? What does that space look like? So I think it, it primes you to be more excusing of and accepting of power and control tactics. So like the next step that I've gone to after kind of understanding this through attachment lens is understanding it through like a narcissistic abuse lens of like making God out to be like a narcissistic leader or person. Right. Um, 
in our conceptions with this level of dependence and control and conditionality of relationship and mixed messages and all of those things. And that we are supposed to always be thankful to God and happy about it at the same time that we are being suppressed and like have to submit to this. Um, and then it creates those dynamics in the group, right? We're taught to use those manipulation tactics with each other and like always be on the lookout to like save your brother from sin, right? Kind of thing, because you're not allowed to trust yourself. You're not allowed to like, you're always supposed to be wary of like your flesh and your body. And like, you can only trust what you're getting from this external authority that's controlling you. Like it just really leads to so many unhealthy patterns. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm picturing in my head, like the forced intimacy of a small group or a prayer group of like Mm -hmm. forcing people to share their deepest, darkest things in the name of accountability, in the name of trust, in the name of like your brothers and sisters are here to help point you right to the Lord and like right. you need them to have this strong relationship with the Lord. So then it kind of spills over into these anxiously attached relationships with other people. And, and it really does just, yeah, it, it does set up this abusive relationship right. with God and like this acceptance of this, like you're in favor, you're out of favor that things are that are going bad, you're being punished, or God is trying to like root out sin or reveal sin to you, or you know, things are going well. Well, don't get too happy. Make sure you're right. grateful. Right. <laughs> Make right. sure you're like giving God the credit for these blessings. Yeah, there are a lot of a lot of things. So what are what are some suggestions for unpacking this? moving forward, maybe someone's listening to this for the first time and they're saying, Oh, that's me. Like that was like, what are, what are some next steps? Well, I think it depends on where you are in the journey. So I like the first thing that popped in my mind was I was still heavily in conservative Christian world, but out of my Southern Baptist upbringing when I started exploring codependency and realizing that I had patterns of enmeshment and relationships. And so my first way out of that was just more honest communication with God and not being afraid of God's response. Right. But I was still very much trying to connect with God. I just didn't feel as much pressure around it. And I felt like there was more security in that. And I could be angry and I could feel whatever I needed to feel. And I didn't have to perform and I didn't have to like do my devotions every day and whatnot. And I, the way I conceptualized it at that point is that any internal messages I had, if they felt berating, critical, judgmental, I was calling that was from the devil, right? It couldn't be from God. At this point, I don't believe in the devil. I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in any of that stuff. Right. So like, I think it's different if you're in that framework still, like it might just be a more clear idea of like, what is the conception I've been given of God? And is that accurate? And do I actually have a lot more safety there than I realize? Right. And can I embrace that? If you're like, I don't want to have to do anything to do with God, right? Like your grounding point is more yourself. And that's where I am now. And I use 
the internal family systems model and philosophy and like framework for humanity and spirituality has been really helpful for me. It is a therapeutic modality, but it's kind of like a wider philosophy. So the idea is that as you befriend and give curiosity and compassion and mindfulness to each of these reactions that you're having, these parts of yourself, you can befriend them. And as you befriend them and they start releasing their burdens, you are naturally going to experience your core self, which is your adult attachment figure, right? So you get to be that caring, supportive, consistent attachment figure for yourself. And you can go back and repair those times that you didn't feel that before and take care of those parts of you that were really wounded there and help the parts of you that still are afraid they need to protect you from that know that it's safe now, right? And that you've got it and you can take care of it. So that's kind of the main framework that I use now to help people navigate through that. Internal family systems is where the idea of like reparenting yourself, right? And like being, yeah, it, that's actually multiple modalities, but yeah, okay. it is part of it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just being being the parent to yourself that you right. didn't get. And I think with IFS, it's even a step further that it doesn't have to be a parent figure. Um, because sometimes that can be triggering, right? Like I've let go of like any sense of like a hierarchical God, like even a parental figure God, because it brings up so much, so many triggers there. And so for me personally, I don't think of my core self as a parent. I think of it as like my highest wisest self and my like most stable, consistent person for myself that just has so much space and caring and compassion for myself without over caregiving, without over helping. It's just like this warmth and space and presence for myself, which is what we experience in our transcendent moments and in our imminence moments of like connection with the earth and with nature and with spirituality. Like I live in more of that now, having more of that connection to my core self. Mm-hmm. Speak to the person who is coming out of these spaces where we are told to deny ourselves and that yourself is wretched and dirty rats and and all that sort of thing. So, so we're taught to, to distrust, we're, we're, we're taught to distrust ourselves. what What are some steps to just sort of like this, this is a being you yourself are a being that can be trusted. What are what right. are little things someone right? Can- well, that's actually the essence of the like the framework and the program that I created around trusting yourself is starting with reflecting on what are those messages, right? What were these exact messages that you were given, and <clears throat> how did they impact you, right? We got them through the songs, we got them through the verses, we got them through the nonverbals in the community and the shaming, right? There were so many places that we got that. And understanding that I was literally indoctrinated to think that I was dangerous to myself, right? That that doesn't have to be true. When you kind of see it in mass, you're like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, when it's not the water you're swimming in, you can be like, I, wow, I don't have to believe that. And that's kind of the first start. And then thinking about what do I want to release comes next? What no longer serves me? And that's a continual process, right? Of like, what is my body able to release? But even giving myself permission to start releasing that and considering something else. 
And then the next step is reconnecting with yourself. So reconnecting to your core self, the possibility of your own inner goodness, right? And then reclaiming the lost and hurting parts of you and also the parts of you that you are never able to live into, right? So like being a sexual being, for example, right? We were never allowed to do that. Being like strong and empowered and like assertive and all of these things, right? Be live in our bodies. <laughs> so reclaiming those kind of things, right? And then being able to reemerge, feeling more whole and grounded and trusting yourself that like I can be that for myself, right? And it, I am allowed to, and it's actually better for me to trust myself because that is where I get all my information. Yeah. Like my my emotions and my body cues are information for myself of how I'm experiencing something in the world. They're not something that I have to judge. Mm-hmm. Right. They're just, it's just information. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is just information. <laughs> just, right. Yeah. And like just starting there, just like, what is it? Yeah. Just yeah. what is it saying? Right. So the the little free like trust yourself again masterclass I have kind of walks through that and just even what does it feel like in my body to be like I can check in and say I like this I don't like this I want this I don't want this right and what does that feel like in my body and that being able to be my guiding light and that like anything that's good for me like feels good could be good for me right instead of something to be suspicious of right that I can have my own inner compass and like guiding force for myself in that inner intuition and like sense in my body that yes, this is good. This is right. Another layer I'm going to mention real quick is just that in IFS, I think it's really helpful in understanding that all of our reactions and all of the parts of us that are holding different experiences, they want to help us. Like we don't have to be afraid of them, even if it feels big and scary. It's just a part of us that's trying to protect us. And so being able to like, be like, oh, okay, then I can be curious about that. Is there a better way to protect myself, right? Could that part of me work with me? That's part of the befriending process. So I just wanted to like. Yeah, and and learning, okay, there was a pattern here that was necessary during a certain season. Right, absolutely. And and I know I like, that's probably, that's a huge part of like my therapy process is, is just saying, okay, this is the thing that's happening what did it protect me from exactly is that gone like does is that needed anymore okay right. thank you right. for what you did yes <laughs> exactly but i don't need you anymore you can go yeah. on vacation you right don't have to work so right. hard anymore. exactly uh, yeah like i i often have encourage clients to have like an inner award ceremony almost like or like yeah exactly to say like thank you for this job that you did to help me survive right and now you don't have to do that any longer. You can find a different job or you can go on vacation. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. One of the, one of the ways that I've gotten over this, like the mental hurdle of just like, oh, I can trust myself when those messages were like, you're not allowed to, that's bad. You're a bad person. Why would you ever think you can trust yourself for me and my story was realizing that the people who said that were like demanding that I trust them. Right. Yet they were like saying, everyone is evil. Everyone is untrustworthy. Right. You are untrustworthy. You right. can't trust you. But for some reason, they thought that I should trust them while right. they're saying that they are untrustworthy. Right. And exactly. Broke down. <laughs> like, exactly. Why? Right. That is actually so arbitrary. Right. You're like, 
they don't actually know more than I do. Exactly. They don't have some other divine connection to God that I don't. Like, <laughs> why would I trust them over myself? I know, which is probably why, like, I know, I don't mean cults end up not probably why, like, like having that one person that then represents right, right. the deity. Right. And they're speaking right. on behalf of the deity, which in some spaces that was an overt messaging and then right. some just kind of an implicit an implicit yeah. messaging someone someone else told me that one of their practices or their their ways of like learning how to trust themselves which is something like very very simple like going out to a restaurant and then just ordering the first thing that sounded good and yeah. like not second guessing right. not, just like first thing sounded good and then checking in and like how did it feel to yeah. just Love that myself- some food that I liked, like, what did exactly. that, what did that feel like? So we can start with baby steps. Exactly. Yeah. Just little, little baby steps. Yeah. Cool. This is very fun. Tell us a little more about your, your course and how people can find you and find your course and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So I kind of walked you through the steps of the trust yourself again course. So that's kind of my core framework of how to move from, I don't, know if I can trust myself or what, why does this still feel bad? Even though I'm out of the, the systems that caused the pain before, um, and being able to do that internal work, right. Of checking through all of those messages and releasing them and learning how to trust yourself again. So that is, I've turned it into a course that you can do on your own time and then add on group coaching so that you can have more like one-on-one support to do that. And there's a like free community that you can just chat in the community as well. But it, it, that made it more accessible than like I've been doing it as a group before and it was a lot harder to arrange. So it's a course where you can do it on your own time. And then I've added on covert narcissism and religious culture course that's like understanding these power and control tactics and why the spaces we were in felt so controlling before, even though there wasn't a central cult figure, cult like leader, there was this ideological control and ideological leader. and then how to recognize those and find safer spaces that even as we're moving into other communities, other spiritual groups, other places where we're trying to land and find safety, what does that look like and be able to recognize if these power and control tactics are being continued or not, right? And how to listen to yourself and know like, yes, I'm in a safe place or no, this means I'm not, or this is something I need to address. That sounds fantastic. And, and mm-hmm. right up, right up the alley of all the things that we are working through. I think the, the cognitive dissonance that we have is like so similar to books I've read and experiences of people that I've talked to that have been in like sexual trafficking situations, right. Or like cults, like it's so similar, right. That like, you're like, oh yes, there's definitely mm-hmm. <laughs> That having to go through that process of like, I can trust myself first, mm-hmm. then that like enables all of the rest of the healing. <laughs> no, and that's a, I mean, that's an important thing that I think what, what makes spiritual abuse or this abuse that we, emotional abuse that we experience in these spiritual communities so difficult to recover from is because we, we minimize the impact yeah. of how that's showing up. So to compare yeah. it to like, like sex trafficking and like the right. type of work that um, right. of this super high control violation system, yeah. right? It's the same thing, right? Just because it has Jesus on it, right? It right. 
in a whitewashed sanctuary right. Right. Uh, doesn't make it less sinister and less eviscerating. Right. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. a very, a very helpful point. I have a, a final fun question to ask you, but before I do ask that question, do you have anything else that you would like to say or share? I don't think so. It's just been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was really fun. And we got through got through a lot in a in a short amount of time. So I appreciate that. What is this is a fun question. A work of art, a TV show, a movie, a painting, a piece of poetry, a book, something that is meaningful to you, a song, anything that is meaningful to you right now. Okay. Well, if I can name two, I'll name two. One is more spiritual. So I've been reading The Dance of the Dissident Daughter by Sumant Kidd. It was her memoir from the 90s that I just discovered. And it's incredible. And one of the paintings that she found that was helpful has just been captivating to me. It's called The Cartoon of St. Anne. And it's this vision of a divine feminine, like goddess or mother holding Jesus and the Madonna and like her abundant lap like it's incredible so I've just been kind of sitting with that and then I also just watched shrinking I'm keeping about it it's so good as a therapist I just was like eating it up because it's about therapists and it's pretty pretty accurate Uh, and so I just love like all of these helping people get unstuck and like see things but it's also so like real and so comical and dealing with grief and loss so like that's been my favorite thing to watch lately. Yeah, I think you're like the fourth person who has, <laughs> has recommended it to me. So <laughs> good to know. I'm about to yeah. reactivate my, my Apple TV so I can watch Ted Lasso. Uh, and Ted Lasso. I know that's on my, <laughs> as soon as the last episode comes out, I'm watching this. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know. Yes. I'm like waiting until the season, the whole season's out. I'm just going right. to get it. well that's cool that's cool well thank you so much we definitely have more collaborations in our future sounds great awesome (laughs) well talk to you later have a great afternoon okay awesome thanks so much for joining us today uncertain is the affiliate podcast of tears of eden a community and resource for survivors of spiritual abuse if you're enjoying this podcast please consider making a donation by visiting tearsofeden.org slash support. All donations are tax deductible. Intro music featured in this episode is from the band Green Ashes. Before you go, please take a moment to like, subscribe, or leave a review, and don't forget to share this podcast show with everyone you know. I'm Katherine Spearing, and I'll see you next time.